Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Percat. You are listening to Inside Supercars. For sure, I think if I get to drive more and more and more, uh, for sure, you know, I'm going to feel more comfortable. I nearly told him to calm down in the end. I'm like, mate, you're making me stressed. I'm stressed enough as is. In 2014, Chaz Mostert and Paul Morris won Bathurst. The race finished at almost 6.30 and 5.2 million people were watching at the end of that race. So a quarter of the Australian population watched Chaz win that race. That's a pretty you know, compelling figure to, to drop on anybody. <laughs> From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. And welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock in New Zealand with Craig Ravel back in Australia. Good evening, Tony. It's great to be with you once again. Wonderful to be here. A fabulous weekend of racing at Pukkoi. Some of it maybe got a bit processional at times and the result, uh, while it was a twin win for the Triple Eight team, the uh, biggest outcome of the weekend was, of course, the Saturday crash for Fabian uh, and the Sunday uh, pretty disastrous uh, ramming of Slade by Shane Van Gisbergen, but that has, to a degree, brought it back to uh, the, a two-horse race, possibly with Fabian and an outsider. It's very close at the top, but again, Triple uh, Eight have shown the response to the challenge of DJR Team Penske. Fascinating weekend. How was the watching of it, uh, Craig? Yeah, watching it on TV, what I uh, took out of it is something you're going to talk about later in the show, which is uh, how resilient the crowd is there. But other than that, I thought uh, the sanding off of the bumps didn't seem to affect the uh, track. And in fact, it did, you know, it did give it a, a little bit more interest when we saw people going too wide into turn one. Um, I also think that uh, the rain made it uh, spectacular viewing and uh, very interesting to see a qualifying session uh, washed out and uh, a number of drivers all saying well Friday never normally means anything but all of a sudden it meant an awful lot. Yes it did. Uh, look there probably wasn't a giant impact. Um, Cam Waters unfortunately wasn't able to make his full advantage uh, of things on Saturday but Sunday he made for amends bef after he actually uh, tripped up and caused a triple PRA uh, uh, calamity. He did recover to give them a podium while his two teammates uh, languished in the back of the pack. Chaz showed great resilience, flying back from 23rd, I think, to back up to about 7th. An outside chance for the championship, but 200-plus points is never a great position. A number of other things came out of the weekend. The supports were pretty good. One of the... Uh, biggest uh, crashes for the weekend was uh, one of the great men of New Zealand motorsport, Ken Smith, 76 years old. Next year, he'll probably be in the New Zealand Grand Prix in Manfield in the Toyota Race Series. He will be celebrating then 60 consecutive years of motorsport at the very top end of the sport. He's not been languishing out in production cars or anything like that. He's been in open wheelers all the way through and quite an extraordinary one. He uh, ran a bearing in his own wonderful uh, Lola uh, on the uh, Friday and qualifying, wasn't able to race that car, was running another car which he didn't really like. He talked to me about it, what didn't fit him like a glove. And unfortunately, the wing mount broke on, uh, on Saturday afternoon in a race. Very fortunate that uh, he went in, sort of not quite side on, but uh, didn't go in nose in. 
but he uh, certainly bounced back and was out there on the talking to the television on uh, Sunday afternoon. So that's a great thing that's going to happen. Uh, terrific side news is that the uh, TCM Touring Car Masters category will be in Townsville. They've been trying to get there for five or six years. It's wonderful because one of the important things for all of supercars is that you know not only you have some good racing in that category, but you have great supports because you want to make sure that every person who comes through the gate enjoys a day of motorsport because that's what they're coming for. And that's what should never be forgotten by people who talk about, oh, it's entertainment. Well, yes, it's motorsport entertainment and racing is what it's about. Few uh, treasures over in New Zealand we had the chance to uh, talk with. One, of course, was uh, Roland Dane. He'll be coming up in the first interview today. And we got to talk to him because uh, after 12 of his 14 years in supercars, he's stepping down from the board, at the, or already has virtually stepped down from the board of supercars. Now, he's been an enormous influence, not only in the engineering sense with the 888 team and their championships and being a, a powerhouse team, but also a, a very crucial member of the board and the management of supercars in providing an international perspective giving the category some real clout, giving it some real noise when it comes to how we should manage ourselves. So that's one of the treats. Second one is Tim Sindrick. We'll talk to him later on, talking to him about uh, the influence of uh, what brought them to Australia, Marcus Ambrose, and how he came and went from their, their team. And uh, also, of course, the Andretti's coming, which is going to be interesting. And finally, probably the hottest driver not in supercars at the moment in uh, Australasia is Richie Stanaway. Coming up after the break, we'll be with Roland Dane, Triple Eight. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page, and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian title since we've been back and been unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm David Reynolds. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. Roland Dane, one of the things I really wanted to ask you about was your decision to step back from the board. Yeah. Um, you obviously feel very confident in the way the position of the sport, having put so many years in. Uh, look, I, uh, honestly, I've just uh, done my time. Uh, I think 12 of the last 14 years or something on the board and uh, there's only so much that uh, you can do free of charge I suppose. Yeah, he is. And um, yeah, it's time to move on. I've got plenty of other things going on right. so um, and uh, the limit to what you can fit in in a day. Yeah, um, a few years ago the board meetings pretty much all took place in Queensland, now they're in Sydney. Yeah, that adds a bit more travel, a bit more time. And it was just a combination of things that I said, uh, I said at the beginning of this year that um, I'd, uh, um, I wouldn't stand for re-election uh, in October. Yep, yep, okay. 
Um, when you started Triple Eight in Australia, um, you had both Ian Harrison, Peter Butley, um, and Derek Warwick were shareholders. Yep. Um, you've now changed the ownership with um, uh, Paul Dumbrell and somebody else. I can't think of the other two. Two Miles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the reason for that change that was because you wanted to. Well, both. Uh the shareholding changes are um, not linked to each other, you know, the, um, Derek, uh, Derek um, asked me to, to buy him out in um, 2010, uh, so he was doing other things, yep. and uh, his property company in the UK, uh, so I did. Um, Peter Butterley, again, he, he was uh, spending, in, back in 2007, eight. He was in spending less time in Australia, so, so that's relevant to him. So I bought him out at the end of 07. Um, and Ian Harrison um, has sort of semi-retired these days. And um, so and he wanted to buy a new boat or something, so I, I bought his shares a couple of years ago. He only, uh, Ian had a, a small shareholding anyway. Um, and uh, in the, at the same time, over the last um, three years, yeah, I wanted to bring in a bit of insurance policy uh, for the business if I was to um, drop dead and um, try and safeguard the interests of the people who work there. So that's what I've done uh, by Paul Dumbrell and Tim Miles coming in. Uh, they're smaller shareholders, but uh, important for the business yep. and uh, highly experienced in um, in motorsport. Yeah. So yeah, if, if really, um, if if something were to happen to me, uh, and the uh, the team need needs help, needs advice, needs direction, those guys are ideally equipped to uh, to do that. So they they keep a very close interest in what's going on, uh, but don't get involved in the in the day to day operations. Very much non executive and. and uh, sort of silent partners. Paul has a unique role because he not only is a co-driver to Jamie, he's been that way for some years, yeah. and as a, as a shareholder, yeah. but also as a sponsor. Well, he's, a, he's part of a, of the a public group yes. uh, that are a sponsor, and um, that goes back quite a few years yeah. uh, in one form or another. But um, Paul is a highly respected um, businessman in his yeah. own right and has uh, made his mark very quickly, very early in life, really. Yes. As uh, early 30s. Um, he's uh, highly confident, highly respected in the, in the industry and um, a very sharp brain. Um, Tim Miles is much closer to my age, but um, Tim knows this business very well, uh, but also, yeah, his main business is mergers and acquisitions and yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, and he's got uh, um, very, a very busy, um, a very busy life with that. Uh, but they bring complementary skills to the uh, to the table. And in going on, I mean, obviously there was the uh, change in the way in which the business was structured with Mark taking over a new role as team Sorry, and what? Mark Dutton moving yeah, into yeah, the role. Yeah. And clearly, you know, seems to be doing an extremely good job at it. Yeah. You know, the team is still performing at that level. And has been. Are you going to be moving further away from it, or I look? At, I mean, uh, you know, age stops for no man, and uh, so. I just want to make sure that um, the 
business has got a good team of, uh, uh, of people, senior positions, trying to uh, trying to ensure that I um, allow them to to do their jobs. Uh, my daughter is well established in the business now. Um, she's also a shareholder in the business and. Um, as part of a management team there, um, trying to really give them the, the headroom and space to, to do more. It doesn't mean I'm going anywhere, it just means that uh, I'll allow them to do more and more of the, of the grunt in the business really, uh, but whilst trying to also give them the benefit of uh, grey hair, of experience. You know that's difficult to, to replicate. Yep, and can you give me some indication as to the other ventures you're going to be doing? And, and uh, my ventures haven't changed. I mean, the uh, yeah, I've had my core uh, car business in the UK for 30, uh, where are we now? Uh, 31 years. Yep. And uh, that still goes. The uh, guy who runs that is here this weekend. Um, and. Uh, Talking with old friends of ours, the Gill Traps, and um, that business still carries on when I'm, I'm there or not. I do take an interest in it every day or every night, as it happens. Yes, European time. Yeah, uh, and um, I sit on the board of PWR, which is uh, as a public company um, is. Um, uh, something that yeah I take very very seriously, but it's also uh, good fun. It's a very um, uh, highly thought of. Uh, it's a dynamic business, business. Yeah. in the yeah. in the motorsport world uh, and automotive generally. PWR is a um, is a real uh, success story. Yeah. So it's great to be a part of that as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've got a pretty full uh, pretty full diary. It must be very exciting for you to see, you know, your two drivers, principal drivers, that is, and Craig obviously as well, but to see them still in contention with the championship at this late stage in the series. Well, yeah, we, yeah, we always always say to to partners, to sponsors, um, I can't guarantee that we'll win, but somewhere we'll be in with a shout, and um, we have been. Um, we have been since 2005 every year. Uh, we've been first or second in the championship, um, and uh, both teams and drivers. And so, for that, yeah, that says that we're somewhere in the shout, and we need to keep that up. Uh, we need to show that we're there. We won't win every time, but we've got to give it a, a red hot go, and um, and we do. And so, nobody has had that um, sustained length of success in touring cars in this uh, in this country really yeah and um, the it's it's difficult to, to keep it there but that's um, to be honest that's the objective of the team and the opposition has come and gone even in my time here you know from being at a the Walkinshaw group and various guises as HSV team and as HRT and then as uh, Pro Drive and, and now uh, DJRT Penske. Yes. Yeah, people have come and gone. Uh, and uh, we've tried to, to take it to all of them. No one, uh, yourself and Holden, has made a bigger commitment to the next iteration of supercars, the, yeah. the next generation of cars. Are you encouraged by what you're seeing there and the way the development for this next generation? What, with well, your own 
the development of the car is the development of the car. I mean, we're doing that, and I'm very happy with the way it's going at the moment. Um, I'd like to see that um, Ford and Nissan coming out with um, current models. Yep. Because, uh, next year they'll both be racing cars that are not current, um, and uh, and I think there's as much onus on the teams as manufacturers to make sure that there are current cars out there. You know, teams need to be prepared to step up and make sure they're racing cars which are current, whatever manufacturer they, they yeah. represent, yeah. Uh, to keep us relevant to the spectator base. Yeah, Triple yeah, Eight has taken on the the task of not only doing the work on the um, on the on the new Commodore, next generation Commodore, but also funding it. Yeah. And uh, other people need to step up. Well, that certainly was an insight into the world of Roland Dane and what he's been doing for the last 14 years competing in Triple Eight with supercars as priority. Now he's moving on to other projects. So that's an interesting insight. We'll now listen to Tim Sindrick, who gave us that perspective about Penske, how they got involved, what happened, when they made the decision to come here. Quite, quite interesting with Marcus Ambrose. So after this break, Tim Sindrick. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels through the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Nick Percap. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. We had the pleasure over the weekend of talking to Sim Sindrick, the president of Penske Motorsport. Uh, fascinating uh, insight into the team, how they came to make the decision to come to Australia. And literally, it was uh, Marcus Ambrose saying to them, will you? If you do, I will. So sit back and listen to Tim Sindrick telling us about Penske in Australia. And this afternoon, we're lucky enough for Inside Supercast to have Tim Sindrick, who is the president of Penske Motorsport, correct, sir? Yeah, Team Penske. Yeah. Team Penske. I wanted to talk today, very briefly, of course, with you about when you first looked at the idea of coming to Supercars, when you first looked at it, sort of a time date, uh, what was it appealed about coming to it, and then when you actually made the decision, at what time making the decision? Yeah, I think, you know, if I think back to it, I remember a phone call from Roger that uh, said, hey, I, I need you to start thinking about how we go racing in Australia. And it was the yeah. furthest thing from my mind at that point in time. Right, this is a sentence. <laughs> yeah, this is just a daily phone call. And... Uh, Obviously, I had exposure to supercar through our experiences here with the Indy at Gold Coast. And I was at the first Gold Coast race in 1991, just fresh out of college. So I attended basically all the cart Gold Coast races. And then when I went champ car, I missed some of those and then came back. What was it, 2008, I think it was. But anyway, familiar with supercars. And I said to him, well, if it's motorsport in Australia, it's obviously supercars where we want to go and he says well dude, you need to go over there and try and understand whether we want to be a sponsor whether we want to be part of a team owner whether we want to start our own team or what do we want to do like roger why do we, why do we want to race half a half a world away and you know, we got plenty going on 
I said, I don't, I don't mind the work. I just want to understand. He says, well, uh, going through the process of, he said, you've seen in the board meetings where we're, we're looking to acquire this dealership or this dealership program, you know, the distributorship for these different brands, Detroit Diesel, all these different acquisitions as part of PAG. And as you know, we've always had motor racing as our common thread throughout our companies. So we want to build the Penske brand through motorsports, but do business like we do here in the U.S. Uh, in terms of putting people together and so forth. Okay, I got the picture. Um, he said, I've, I've met Dick Johnson and, and some of these guys, and they're going to come across at some point and just give them a tour of the place. And whether they're the guys or not, uh, they've got a workshop in Brisbane, which is where our headquarters are going to be. And, uh, yeah, just start from there and see what you think. So so that was the commercial, the trucking business? It was going to be in Brisbane. Yep, so the headquarters. Obviously, synergy reasons and geographic reasons yep. as well. Yep. Yep. Okay. Can you timeline on that, so roughly? Well, that would have been, I want to say that was August or September of, of that particular year. So I'm trying to think of years. So this would be 17, 16, 15, we ran a full season. The end of 14, we did a, uh, a um, so this would have been, 14, this would have been 13, yeah, this would have been uh, the fall of 13, because I came across to Homebush that year in 13, and spent time with not only Dick Johnson, but more more so with uh, uh, ProDrive, you know, FPR at the time, yeah. um, with Tim Edwards and Rod Nash and, and uh, uh, that group, and, you know, spent some time in and uh, you know the Ford guys at the, at the time we'd come across, and and just tried to understand what that was all about. Jamie Allison was the guy with Ford that I yep. came with, yes. and yeah, I spent the weekend there trying to understand the series and so forth, and then went away thinking about what's what's the best process and what do we do. Um, Roger and I then then talked about it throughout the year, and and really what became obvious to us is we needed a we needed a cornerstone the team issue is one thing and it seemed as though Dick Johnson because of the geographical location and the fact that we felt like it would be better to, to be involved with an existing Australian base than come in here as, a, as an independent American team yeah yeah um, it would be better for our business to to be seen as as a group that's together at least initially um, than maybe just an American motorsports team yeah, yeah. and we had a lot to learn so yeah we talked to Dick and, and his guys throughout that year really and, and negotiated you know some type of partnership and our cornerstone as we talked about it more and more was, was Ambrose and we sat down with Marcus throughout the various NASCAR events that year to talk about how to how to form some partnership amongst us and how we would start small and we would build it going forward and we were both committed to each other to the extent of, if you want to go do this, we'll go do it. If you're not going to do it, we're not going to do it. Okay. So we were in agreement that if he went, we would go and, and vice versa. Yep. And we put together the wild card then, then for Homebush. I, I came across that year. Uh, I went to Bathurst that year as, as a guest of DJRs. And uh, we'd already announced that prior to that, wasn't it? Part of the, it was the one day on the sand down that you 
Yeah, yeah, we'd already announced our partnership, so you know I was there as, as kind of a, a future building process, and we entered the wild card at Homebush that year, and uh, that's really where it all started. Just briefly on Marcus, um, I imagine that probably no one's more disappointed than me that it didn't work. Um, it, you, were you surprised? Yeah, very much so. I, I guess I really not the, never never had the feeling that uh, that he was that distraught in terms of our, our overall performance or where he thought he was. Um, you know, I, I can understand his disappointment after our homebush outing that year, which was in some ways circumstantial. Our, yeah, we weren't top of the mark, but that year, if you remember, there was a red flag with the rain and all yeah. the rest of it, and the whole weekend was pretty disjointed. So he really never had a very good go Didn't at it. show probably what it was. Right, and, and I think that bothered him in the offseason about, hey, is this really, am I ready for this? Because it's changed so much. I know you've been involved with a lot of mm. great drivers. Mm. Um, you're still involved mm. with one who's pretty good with willpower. Mm. But um, Marcus, uh, in fact, Ross Stone told me that he's the hardest person he's ever negotiated with. You know, he's, his father taught him well. Um, it must have been, you know, that time when the decision was made that he was going to step down and Scott step up. That must have been quite something because what you would just say to me then, if you go Wilgo sort of thing, suddenly it was Yeah, no, he, he was um it was it was completely he had, after the first event there in Adelaide, um you know, he had made some whispers that hey I'm not I'm not sure if I'm good enough for this anymore. Yeah. And you could tell his confidence wasn't where it needed to be. Yeah. But we had a decent result that weekend. It wasn't great, but for the overall team it was all right. And then a miserable outing at the Grand Prix, and he rang up and said, "I, I just I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm, I know, you know, I feel horrible that we did all this together and this and that." And he said, "Look, guys, in Tasmania was the next race, you know, his home yeah, race. Yeah, yeah. So let me get this right. You're going to step down before we go to Tasmania, and and you're willing to go to Tasmania and represent the team?" Yeah. He said, because, yeah, as hard as that'll be, that's what I have to do. Why don't we try and just get through Tasmania and try a few other races and let's just see where we are. He says, no, if you'd like me to, we'd, we'll do the Enduros if you want to do that. But beyond that, I'm done. And, uh, you know, he was true to his word in the sense that he did everything we asked him the entire year um, and really didn't want anything for it. He just said that this is just what's right for me and my family and that's where I am. You must be um, not uh, talking about exceeding your expectations, but you must be pleased where you are now in terms of the championship. Two guys in the top three, um, the cars are showing speed at most tracks. You've already won the pole position award, so fastest uh, there. You must be pleased to where you've got in a relatively short space of time. The team's done a, a great job as far as putting together quality people and the drivers themselves, they've represented it. They've, they've done everything we came here to do from a business perspective as far as helping build a brand and yep. ambassadors for our brands. And then tying the, the American relationship that we have with, with the whole Shell Viva program, um, that that actually grew you know, from what we had in American NASCAR. And, yeah, it's it's been really good, but it's, it's also been what our expectations were. Our expectations were to... To be here our third year and compete for wins, yep. 
And if we were competing for wins, that meant you were typically competing for a championship. But we knew that that would, that would come as success would come. Yeah. One last question, because I know you have time constraints. And that's about the Andretti's coming. Mm-hmm. She was remarkable. If someone had said to me five years ago, oh, Pinsky and Andretti coming to run supercars. What? Yeah. You were blindsided by that one? or? Yeah, I, I guess it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because we, we obviously had a business objective that tied in with the, yeah, the racing. Totally. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, tying in a, a racing organization halfway around the world mm-hmm. is a challenge. Yeah. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what their approach is because it's so far, I, I haven't really talked to Michael about it. He didn't really consult with us about our experiences. Um, but we, we do take a certain amount of pride in the fact that they're here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I understand that. Well, thank you very much, Tim. Yep. Um, you're probably not going to make Newcastle? I'm hoping I do make Newcastle, okay. but I'd, I'd say I'm 50-50 at the time, but right. I'm hoping Roger can actually come across. Right. That'll make my odds better. I, I have so too, and I'd love to continue to have a conversation with you about it. Cool. Thank you so much yep. on Inside Supercars. Thank you. And that certainly is an insight into the thinking of Penske Motorsport in Australia. Coming up next, we'll be listening to Richie Stanaway. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie Stewart at the Grand Prix and I just remind myself of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. We're here talking today with Richie Stanaway, the youngest, hottest New Zealand driver, and quite possibly the fourth to add to the Supercar Championship. Currently, we have three of the top five who are leading in the point score. It's pretty certain that other than Jamie not getting there, one of those New Zealanders could win. It's fascinating because New Zealand has had a history going back to the 1960s of being competitive and putting drivers on the track that win races. So settle back and listen to Richie, who could be the next one. Richie, I'd just like to go back and uh, where you started motors. Whereabouts are you from originally? Um, so I was born and grew up in Rotorua and um, moved to a place called Tauranga yep. um, in my early teens. And I grew up racing motocross. Oh, um, good, right. And then my dad raced Speedway his whole life. So What's his name? Uh, Neville. Neville, so yeah. Yeah. Yep. And as soon as I was old enough to race in the, the junior category of, of the speedway scene when I was 12 I started that did that for a few years and then um, did one year of karting when I was 14 and then um, yeah when I was 15 I won the New Zealand speed sport scholarship so right. speed sport you've got to t- tell me some of the names of other drivers who've won that award come on um, SVG's won it um, Murph no, I don't think so. We it was, it was a shell, shell scholarship. Oh, okay, it was slightly right. different. That was for Formula Ford. Yes. Um, but I guess that was the equivalent of that um, at the time when I did yep. it. Um, but this was for Formula V. Yes. Formula First, yep. they call it here. Um, and I think Brendan Hartley's won it before as well. Yes. And Nick Cassidy, a few 
two really good guys that have gone on to have, have good careers. And that was kind of um, my springboard, I guess, yep. to get me properly on, onto the Okay. Were scene. you preparing the car as well? Um, no, no, no. So yeah, the, the walk-up drive. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I hadn't really achieved anything before then, yes. so it was a bit of a shock for me to win that because I was going up against all of New Zealand's top, not all, but a lot of New Zealand's top kind of go-karters and stuff that all had a bit of a reputation. Yep. So I was definitely probably the least expected person to win that just simply because I'd only done a year of karting and yeah. no one I'd never achieved anything in karting and like no one no one would have expected me to win and I didn't expect to win it so um, it was a pretty big shock for me to win that and then that's kind of where all my racing career really got serious so that was in 2007 and um, yeah then it's taken me 10 years of <laughs> car racing to get to where I am now. To be an overnight success, yes. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's unusual to have reached the stage where you have, where you've raced for the factory at Le Mans and, and, and major Le Mans series, yep. to then want to, not come back to New Zealand, but come to Australia to race. Why is Supercars the venue for your next, you wanted to be the venue for your next yeah. series? Honestly, I think it's the best motorsport championship in the world. So yep. if I didn't think that, then you know, I wouldn't be trying to trying so hard to get into it. Okay. I just, I just like everything about it. You know, and I've I've been racing a lot of different championships around the world, and this one for me is. Tell, tell us the, about the those different series you've raced in. Um, well, I did um, first went to Europe to do Formula, like the equivalent of Formula Four, mm-hmm. um, in a Volkswagen series. Um, won that, then did Formula 3. Where were you racing there? Uh, Germany. Yes. Yeah. And then How many circuits in, the, in that series? Um, quite a few, like probably 10 or 11 different circuits, so yeah, yeah. mostly in Germany. You were learning tracks the whole time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, which, um, is, which is part of a racing driver's education, is to be able to go to a new track yeah. and, and, you know, this is something I know the car is at, but I've got to learn the track. Yeah. Luckily for me, you know, every driver has um, different strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. For me, for sure, one of my strengths is, is learning circuits and cars really quickly. So it's always been probably one of the strongest points that I've had. So I've never been in a position in my career where I can rely on doing a lot of testing or yep. um, doing multiple seasons in something to, to get up to speed. Yes. So I, I think that strong point of mine is what's enabled me to get as far as I have because if I was someone that took time to learn tracks and cars yep. I never had the budget or the, the proper backing to do testing and do multiple seasons like a lot of drivers need to, to fully yeah. get up to speed so that's kind of how I managed to get um, to where I have um, you know racing in supercars will be a different story because everyone's on such a high level that even though I can learn tracks quickly it's still not going to be enough yeah, in yeah, my first yeah. first season okay but for the level that I've been racing at up until now it's been enough um, so you open wheelers um, yeah Germany then F3 one for German F3 then I did um, went from that into World Series by Renault or otherwise known as Formula Renault 3.5 yep. which at the time was the place that be. was the next place to go yeah. before F1. Yes. So no one was really doing GP2. It was more yes. um, Formula Renault 3.5. Yep. 
so it all happened pretty quickly got all the way up was knocking on the door of f1 as a 20 year old which was all pretty exciting um you know was topping test days and stuff against you know pretty some pretty big names and guys that are now in f1 etc um and then three rounds into that championship i broke my back in a, in a crash and then that was kind of where to be honest that's kind of where i lost the the momentum for f1 i never never got it back since yeah. then um first of all because i had a year off racing couldn't yep. race for a year and then I, I never really landed on my feet after that so um, after a year off and then a year of doing gt racing finally got back into an open wheeler in 2014 and 2015 doing gp3 and gp2 yep but to be honest the, the team was not able to give me a fast enough car to, to, to have good enough results for f1 so yeah it was uh, yeah it was, it was better it was cool to have had that experience um, but at the same time it's kind of hard to to do it and know you're not going to be competitive enough to get the right results you need to, to yes. be an f1 driver yeah, yeah. Um, and alongside that, since 2013, I've been a factory driver for Aston Martin and racing in the World Endurance Championship, so it's had a good mix of open wheelers and, um, and GT racing. And where have you been living in the last couple of years? Um, I've been in England the last five years. Right, so, okay. Yeah. So now you're about to move back down under? Yeah, I've been in New Zealand for a year now though. Right, so okay. uh, I moved out of England probably June last year, right. so yeah, just over a year I've been back here, yeah, it's okay. and then now looking to move, okay. move to Aussie next year. Right. So. Okay. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you on Inside Supercars with was how regularly, and almost it seems like production line like, and it's not, I know, because every driver has had a different story, Yeah. how regularly New Zealand has been able to produce top-line drivers, no matter whether they've been open-wheelers yeah. or sports cars. Um, and, you know, I've got my own views. One of them, which you'll yeah. probably tell me is absolute rubbish, but one of them, because there's so few professional motorsports drivers, rather, in New Zealand, you've got to aspire to go somewhere else. You can't yeah. make a career in New Zealand as a driver. Yeah. John McIntyre is a distant cousin of mine was probably at one stage the only professional race wheel driver here. Yeah. Um, but as a result of that, that uh, kids don't work on their autograph very early in go-karts here. In yeah. Australia, that's not the case. Kids by the age of 10 or 12, they've got their autograph down pat. Now what I'm meaning by that is the simple thing that this is where I'm going, this is what I'm gonna do. Yeah. You can't do that here. Nah. Yeah, I think that's the reason why all the New Zealand drivers that we know of are at a high level is because, yeah, you, you have to go international and no one really bothers doing that unless they're at a really, really high level yeah. and no one will back them unless they're, they're at that high enough level to do so. So if there is someone that's made it from New Zealand, then they have to be pretty, 
everybody. I mean, when you look at the list, and it is the Nick Cassidy's and the Chris Vandergrift's and Earl Bamber's and Brendan Harvey, of course, it is a very long list, far more so than Australia, with a quarter of the population, less than a quarter, a fifth of the population. Yeah. Um, the other reason that you can put in recent times is the Toyota series. Yeah. Did you ever do a series? Uh, I did. I just did a couple of one-off races. Right. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's that was. It's always been a really competitive. Yes, wonderfully so. Yeah. I actually worked on five thousands back in the uh, in the seventies. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was a fantastic series. I just cannot still this day understand why Australia didn't decide that we should go with that Toyota series because then you'd have you know potentially up to eight weeks of very competitive motorsport for yeah. young drivers. Yeah. And you know, don't make it a destination category. Make it a development category as it is. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So, um, Aston Martin, I mean, uh, factory team, um, the cars are prepared by ProDrive, yep. that gave you a connection here in? Uh, no, the, the con initial connection here was through Super Black, um, so obviously with it being a New Zealand um, owned wreck and funded car, they, they need a New Zealand driver, so I was really keen to do it. and. They didn't really have anyone else yep. in the frame for it, um, and then obviously once I connected with them, then I came back through to um, Pro Drive here. But that uh, I, I don't think there was really much of a connection from yeah, Pro Drive okay. UK. They right. certainly supported it though. Um, yeah. Which helped. Well, it's been wonderful to talk to Richie Stanaway. Um, big things are coming soon. We hear their announcements are imminent, but we'll leave yeah. that all for future news. Yeah. And thank you very much, Richie, for being on Inside Supercars. No worries. Thank you. And after Inside Supercars now, let's just wrap up where we are. The season uh, has been a fantastic one, and New Zealand seems to really put it on every year, don't they, Craig? They do indeed. And my final thought is... Two races and pit stops at Pukekohe on a on a real racetrack, uh, not like a uh, confined street circuit, is definitely the way to go. Whilst a lot of people enjoyed the four short races, there's nothing like something that lets the whole story be developed over the course of the race, and I think that's what we got this weekend. We got uh, a full uh, a full race and a full story. Um, while sprints races, I'm sure, have their place in some forms of motorsport, I don't think supercars lends itself to it. And, you know, were I ruling the world, then they wouldn't go out for less than 500 k's on a Sunday every time they got on the track. But anyway, that's just me. But I thought two races at Pukekohe was a success. And the other interesting aspect to it was that crowd size, because it's virtually the same as 2016. The weather was pretty awful on Saturday. They had to abandon qualifying, um, but the crowd still came, and as compared within Australia, when the, it's a wet meeting, they're very fickle, as you talked about in the past, and they certainly uh, didn't deter them here. They are mad fans. I was there in 96 when the massive crowd came, and they wouldn't go home on Sunday night. They just stayed and stayed and stayed. New Zealand motorsport is very different to Australia. Everyone knows somebody involved in the sport, and as a result, um, that it seems as though New Zealanders have a greater chance to make it through to the very top level, as Brendan Hartley has proved. Um, you know, just this week he's won his second World Endurance Championship. He's won Le Mans, and now he's got back to Formula One. 
Uh, I talked with Kenny Smith at the weekend, who was his uh, mentor for many years before Scott Dixon was. Um, and, uh, well, not Scott Dixon was a mentor to Brendan, but um, there is a very long list. And I'd just like to go through partly some of the list of drivers who've come through a 12 years of the Toyota race series. Now, CAMs in Australia decided not to go that route. They had Formula 3 for many years, which never seriously made an impact, unfortunately. Great category, wonderful cars, never made an impact. The list of New Zealand drivers is extraordinary. I'll just run through the names, just to remind people how many have come through and made it. Brendan Hartley, Daniel Gaunt, Chris Pither, Mitch and Wade Cunningham, James Cressy, Andrew Knight, Chris Vanderdrift, Shane Van Gisborne, Earl Bamber, Dominic Story, Richie Stanaway, Mitch Evans, Nick Cassidy, John O'Lester, Damian Leach. These are all drivers from New Zealand who competed in that series. The Australians, on the other hand, have competed. Most of them never were on the climb through the category to actually get somewhere in Melbourne Sport. Drivers who've been there, Barton Moore, Dave Besnard, Lucas Dumbrell, Tim Slade, Leanne Tander, Jason Barguana, Scott Pye, Nathan Anchews, Nick Foster. Now, all those guys who competed in a series that is very strong, and they uh, every year they have at least four or five race meetings, and they compete you know, enormously every weekend powerfully. It's like the old Tasman series. Back in the 1960s, there was an eight-round series. Uh, in 1964 was the inaugural Tasman series when Bruce McLaren won it in a car that he had built at Cooper's. It was really the first McLaren open wheeler. And from then on, it was a regular thing. Every year, the Formula One drivers would have their summer in the south. And there'd be uh, eight races and eight weekends, four in New Zealand, four in Australia. It was a fantastic series. I did one complete Tasman series in 72. As a result of the New Zealand series, there are three drivers who have gone on to Formula One. Daniel Kiviet, Lance Stroll, and Brendan Hartley. Alex Lynn is another one who's on the edges. Quite a number of those drivers have been in GP2 and GP3. That hasn't happened in the same way. Now, Daniel Ricciardo has been enormously successful, but he was successful not because he came through any ladder in Australia. He was successful because he went off and did Formula BMW in Asia and went through that way, not because he'd raised any interest or money in Australia from it. He had a father who could back him and go and do racing. But something seriously needs to be done to try and get a proper ladder system going for Australia to get these kids, whether it's the US or Europe, one of the two, to give these kids a chance to come up, as they do in New Zealand, to compete internationally. And I can only hope that people in Australia pay some attention to this and realise that they can do something. Uh, Formula Ford 4 may do it. Formula Ford has been doing it, but it needs now Formula Ford to do something more than it is. So that's my final thought for this week's Inside Supercars. I hope that uh, you enjoy the conversations we had with various doyens of uh, pit lane this week. So, Craig, it's uh, goodbye from me. And it's good night from him. Good night. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.